Welcome back to Second Helping, the first choice among podcasts for fans and followers of the top league in all of collegiate athletics. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, alongside my great friend Brent Beard, a longtime college football analyst, most recently, the last several years. At First Coast News there in Jacksonville, Florida, Brent, also a voter in the race for the Heisman Trophy. So we have a Heisman Trophy voter. I think Brent's job, maybe he's not going to tell us, OK, because they're sworn <laughs> to secrecy. They take a blood oath. That's right. They agree to become a uh, voter for the Heisman Trophy. We're not going to get him to tell us his exact order. But I'm guessing after Saturday, Brent, Atlanta, Georgia. Your job got a little bit easier, at least, in terms yes. of, you know, maybe who you were going to go with, number one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I will unveil all that next week when they allow us to do it. And again, I, I disagree with the Heisman Trust, Trav. I, I think they need to let us discuss it during this week. I think it'd bring more attention to the trophy that it needs, but uh, that's a a sermon on another day, but yes, we know who is going to be there and, uh, uh, not, uh, and, and, uh, shall we say quite a bit of disagreement, Trav, about, uh, one Will Anderson being left out from, uh, folks across the nation. Yeah. A lot of folks feel like, uh, the Heisman voters got it right in terms of having a defensive player among yes. the finalists. They just didn't get the right player. And right. you kind of feel bad for Aiden Hutchinson because he's had a really, really good year. But when you lay out the case for both Aiden Hutchinson and Will Anderson, just right there on paper, uh, if you said, look, pick the stat line of the guy you think is going to yeah. be a finalist. Right. And you pick that stat line. I said, no, it's the other guy. Yeah, you know, I think you'd say, well. Uh, maybe Will Anderson, a little bit of an injustice here. Good for Will Anderson, though. He wins the Bronco Nagurski Trophy on Monday night as the nation's top defensive player. Lost in all that was that Aiden Hutchinson wasn't even a finalist no. for the Bronco Nagurski. So, <laughs> you know, it is kind of a silly season in a lot of ways. Um, and if you're Alabama at the end of the day, if this just gives Will Anderson any more motivation <laughs> going into the college football playoff, really? I don't know. I don't know if Nick Saban wouldn't rather have it this way. <laughs> yeah, no question about that. I, I agree. But, but Trav, to me, one of the greatest testaments about Will Anderson uh, is uh, the note that says one of only two power five players through the last 20 years with 90-plus tackles, 20-plus tackles for loss, and 12-plus sacks. The, the, the only other one, Trav, Arizona Scooby Wright in 2014. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about, especially in terms of negative play production for Will Anderson, is is Derek Thomas territory. Maybe Terrell Absolutely. Suggs, if you go yes. back to his time at Arizona state, but more along the lines of probably just in overall production, a Derek Thomas like season from 1988 when Derek had 39 tackles for loss. So uh, an amazing season for Will Anderson. Yes, you would see him. Uh, you would prefer to see him recognized if there was going to be just one defensive player there. Same time, a couple of things. You don't want to devalue the season of Aiden Hutchinson, but also, you know, from the Alabama perspective, you don't want to diminish from 
Bryce Young, you know, winning the Absolutely. award uh, as an Alabama player. So, look, it's not the worst of things. Uh, yes, I agree wholeheartedly and have all season with the sentiment that if there is a defensive player among the Heisman finalists, it should be Will Anderson. It has not played out that way. Aiden Hutchinson took advantage of some big stages, specifically the Ohio State game when he was very much a game wrecker against the Buckeyes in Ann Arbor. But that was pretty much Will Anderson on a weekly basis. So yes. uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, we think we know how it's going to play out in terms of Saturday night's winner in New York City. But in reference to that performance against Georgia for Bryce Young, as we transition into some Southeastern Conference Championship game thoughts, Brent, I think his second quarter alone might have been enough to go ahead and uh, punch his ticket for the Heisman Trophy. He was 13 of 18 for 248, two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown, Brent, in the second quarter alone last Saturday night. Just amazing performance. And, Trav, we talked before the game, and and, uh, obviously this is a mantra with a lot of people, that if something can happen to neutralize the front seven of Georgia, that their secondary uh, is susceptible uh, in dealing with a really good quarterback. And that is absolutely what happened uh, with Bryce Young. And look, of all the things that I can say about this game, the, the, the one sentence to me that sums it up was for Alabama, zero interceptions, zero sacks, and zero turnovers. Trev, we said uh, that they they really had a chance to win the game if they played a clean game, and they did. They did, plus two in turnover margin, and that's before you take into account the two fourth down failures that Georgia had. So if you look at it from that perspective, especially there in the third quarter, when Georgia had a couple of opportunities, wasn't able to cash in on them, it felt more like plus four in turnover margin yes. for that Alabama defense. So a great job by Alabama, more so in terms of keeping Georgia's run game to a manageable number, despite playing with five defensive backs on the field for much of the game, because you're trying to deal with Brock Bowers a lot of times unsuccessfully so on Saturday. But one of the keys, as it was a year ago, and I wrote about this before the game at BamaOnline.com, you wanted to get Stetson Bennett north of 25, yes. 30 pass attempts. If you did that, that probably was a good sign for the Alabama defense. He finishes with 48 pass attempts. That's not what this Georgia team had built all this success upon. They were very much a balanced team, balanced offense coming in. Alabama defensively was able to get Georgia out of that comfort zone. Again, despite all of the great work from Brock Bowers, uh, especially there in the second half, he was borderline unstoppable. Uh, One of the best uh, certainly tight end prospects that we've seen in quite a while uh, to say the least, Bowers is so powerful. He's so fast. He is the total package uh, along this way. But and, and look, we're not trying at all to minimize anything Georgia's done because Georgia has its goals in front of them still. But I think the thing that 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 should be said here is uh, that uh, this Georgia defense is predicated upon can they get to the quarterback, and if they can't get to the quarterback. Uh, that's a weakness for them because it opens up a lot of things for the opposing offense too. But 
Trev, that the other thing for this Georgia team, and this is no doubt uh, they've been in the film rooms uh, probably since Sunday morning, were bust critical errors, and at times uh, their poise left them on a on a very big stage that all, that continues to uh, uh, to leave some questions, and we'll certainly get into uh, the uh, <laughs> the two big semifinal games. But certainly a lot to work on for the dogs and a in between the fans and the coaches and the media. Uh, I haven't seen that much overconfidence going into a game since the uh, uh, 1992 Alabama season <laughs> where where they played Miami in the Sugar Bowl. And Trev, I'll drop one more on you: is I haven't seen that much overconfidence since Florida State in Miami. When Miami won 31 to nothing, and Florida State spent the summer working on the rap video. Yeah, um, the thing was going into the game, and I picked Georgia. I picked Georgia to win a close game. I did, but too. I was not among those who were saying the game would not be close, or that right. Alabama did not have a chance. That's where we kind of separate the um, the foolish from. Yes. You know, the the more realistic and you start to wonder in some of those picks, how much is fatigue with Alabama uh, factored into it? I don't know. Maybe a lot of these folks just felt that way. Maybe they had watched sure. Georgia against largely inferior competition all season and said that somehow is going to translate against a far better Alabama team. And look, Alabama had given you some performances just as recent yeah. as the Auburn game to think Absolutely. that, you know, this team is very suspect, very vulnerable. And on top of that, some of the injuries that Alabama was dealing with. But from that perspective, I think that's why it was so important to get what Alabama got out of Brian Robinson. And you look at his stat line, you see 71 scrimmage yards doesn't really blow you away. But Alabama ends up outrushing Georgia. Not that Alabama rolled up the rushing yards, but still, going into that game Saturday, I don't think a lot of people thought Alabama would have over 100 rushing yards, no. and they did, uh, with uh, with Brian Robinson able to go, and, and Trey Sanders giving them something as well. So, again, to put Georgia more into a game that Alabama wanted to play. You know, let's get the quarterbacks. Let's get both these quarterbacks up over 40 pass attempts. Alabama totally comfortable with that, with Bryce Young. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about Georgia's shortcomings after a game like this. That's what we do. I think you hit on a lot of it, pass rush, especially without Adam Anderson, who has been out for a while now following his uh, situation off the field. That has shown up, I think, against a a better team like Alabama. But, uh, you know, still, as you also outlined, very much in play a rematch possibility for Indianapolis in the college football playoff national championship game. As we learned on Sunday, Alabama will take on Cincinnati in a semifinal at the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Eve. The nightcap on December the 31st will be Georgia and Michigan, the Wolverines. And, uh, you know, that should be a fun game. If you like if you like lines of scrimmage football, I think Georgia-Michigan is going to have you covered. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I mean, this is a, and I give Michigan a lot of credit for, for what, what they have done. Uh, th- this is easily the best Michigan team in years winning their um, uh, conference championship. Uh, first time since the early 2000s, which is amazing just to be able to uh, 
to ponder that uh, during that time. So, uh, and, and that will be your night game in the Orange Bowl, in the Cotton Bowl, Alabama and Cincinnati, a very game Cincinnati team, really good defense, Jerome Ford, former Alabama player, Ritter at quarterback, uh, who is very good within himself too. So uh, I, I think, and again, I'm I'm curious, Trav, because they've gone back to New Year's Eve. I think people may have missed that a little bit, thinking that the semis were going to be on January 1st. I will be interested with it being New Year's Eve, how that will affect uh, all the TV that goes along with that. But at the same time, don't we have a little bit of everything, Trav, in this, in the semis, a potential Alabama-Georgia rematch, but yet you've got, uh, as they like to say, new blood with Cincinnati being the non-Power 5, and then a Michigan team uh, in there for the first time ever. Yeah, I think a lot of that has been at least quenched to an extent. I, I think Alabama being there is still... Uh, you know, leave some people a little bit salty uh, about the Crimson Tide's continued presence there. But you're right. With Cincinnati in there first time, you're going to have a group of five. And you said it, a very veteran team, especially on the defensive side of the ball with four graduate uh, students as starters for Cincinnati, seven seniors on that defense for Cincinnati. And then a Michigan team, you're right. Uh, no question about it. In terms of quality under Jim Harbaugh, this is as good as it gets. Josh Gaddis done a nice job really with has. that Michigan offense, with those quarterbacks. Kate McNamara has evolved into an upper echelon starter at the Power Five level. Hassan Haskins, though, in that run game, that's going to be where it really starts. Uh, we'll talk about Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, a lot in this uh, Michigan defense. Some talent there, too. I think Dax Hill, one of the uh, defensive backs uh, on the back end, Vincent Gray. Uh, the corner spot. This is a very quality Michigan team across the board. I don't know if stylistically, schematically, uh, it's a good matchup for Michigan with Georgia because you're getting back into that realm of making Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt very comfortable with you know phone booth football, so to speak. Yeah. Michigan's going to come out in those multiple tight end sets, and you know Georgia is equipped in a way in which it can handle that with Nicobe Dean and those guys in front of him. So. Yeah, some interesting matchups, to say the least, for the college football playoff. And certainly as we move closer, we'll get a little bit more nuts and boltsy when it comes to those two matchups. But, you know, we also wanted to talk about uh, in relation to uh, as we get more into this offseason, the, the, the transfer portal, the coaching news, Brent. Uh, and as we previewed here in the last few weeks, the last few editions of Second Helping, uh, that's not slowing down. Either of those don't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. Oh man. Uh, no doubt about that. And some notable names of, of guys who are transferring. Um, I'll mention this briefly, but I think both of us think this is important. Um, Tyler Johnston from UAB, uh, it's thrown for nearly 5,000 yards, 37 touchdowns in his career. Um, before I go into the more familiar guy, Trev, people don't need to overlook this guy here. I, I Look, I'm not saying he's going to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy, but I've seen Tyler Johnson enough to know, and I know you have too, is this guy's a really serviceable quarterback. He is, and that's what's fascinating about this time of year is the quarterback movement, right? Yeah. And even to the extent of with coaching changes, 
you're seeing some quarterbacks that have been committed to say Florida and some other programs um, get back out of those commitments, open things back up. And we are exactly one week away from the start of the early signing period. Now, if you're a quarterback that is coveted, it doesn't really matter. You can take this thing to February, you know, if you want to, Uh, you have that luxury of time, but from the transfer portal perspective, you got to think a lot of this stuff is going to be whirlwind, whether it's Spencer Rattler leaving Oklahoma, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the situation you had with Gabriel, the quarterback at, uh, right. at UCF, UCF absolutely. Um, and now Max Johnson leaving LSU, his younger brother, the nation's number one tight end prospect for the 2022 cycle, decommits from LSU with that. Um, man, a lot of stuff in play and going to be fascinating to see where these, specifically the quarterbacks yeah, yes. uh, in the transfer market land here in the next week or so. Uh, well, I think Max Johnson's the one that raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, and as we dig deeper into that, there's a couple of things here. Number one is, Trev, who in the world is LSU going to play in the bowl game? Uh, because if they play Garrett Nesmeyer, he loses a year of eligibility, uh, which is kind of the, uh, the way that rule is right now. Now, uh, the other reality for... Uh, for Max Johnson is LSU is going to have a kid named Walker Howard, who is the number two pro style quarterback in the nation uh, from uh, Lafayette and St. Thomas Moore. Uh, now, uh, my understanding is, and we can we connect the dots here, and that Brian Kelly, now the new LSU football coach coming over from Notre Dame, knows Walker Howard, actually has recruited him. So I think when Max Johnson uh, and Brian Kelly had their sit-down a few days ago, Johnson saw the writing on the wall and decided that he's going to go. Now, Johnson's name also traveled, interestingly enough, uh, linked with Florida State. Uh, now, and again, as, as we said a minute ago, Max Johnson had his ups and downs uh, and at LSU. He may not obviously be in, uh, he, he's not ready to go to New York yet for the Heisman, but Max Johnson, and you're right, this is what makes this so fascinating because, look, we've seen Johnson uh, be replaced and benched. Trev, we've also seen Johnson come in a game, i.e. last year against Florida, uh, and kind of set the uh, uh, the game on fire and did a really good job. So uh, wherever he goes, to me, is going to be fascinating. Max Johnson, for all the talk about this season, here's a stat for you. 27 touchdown passes, six interceptions. Oh, with an offense that was anything but functional yeah. most right. of the season that <laughs> didn't have a run game of note uh, for pretty much all of the season. You saw a little surge there with, with Ty Davis Price and the run mm-hmm. game kind of out of the blue in that went over Florida, went off uh, after being really just non-existent up to that point. So, you know, this is a guy in two seasons, not even two full seasons because he jumped in as the starter about the a little past the midway point of his true freshman season, has just put up tremendous numbers. Twenty-seven and six this season. A year ago, uh, he was eight and one in touchdown to interception ratio. So thirty-five to seven touchdowns to interceptions the last season and a half, I guess you could say. And really, either season didn't really have his top target for the no. entirety sure of his did. time. 
behind center. He helped bring Kayshawn Butte along with himself a year ago, and then he didn't have Butte over pretty much the second half of the 2021 season. I'm all about Max Johnson. Of course, I a long time have felt that way about Max Johnson. And I think, you know, I really thought he was the perfect fit for Brian Kelly. Kind of yes. has some Ian Book to him. Mm-hmm. A better passer, I would say, a better pure passer than, say, Ian Book. Maybe not quite as athletic as Ian Book, but in that same neighborhood. Um, so I kind of figured it would be a pretty seamless transition. But no, looks like Max Johnson is on his way out of Baton Rouge. And his younger brother isn't going to quite make it there as the nation's top tight end prospect. Anything else um, of note, Brent, when we talk about uh, the SEC specifically? Uh, I guess you got to talk about Jeff Levy, it sounds like, yes. making his way from yes. Ole Miss to Oklahoma, right? Uh, yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, and look, uh, Jeff Levy's name's been mentioned a little bit, even for uh, some head coaching jobs at some point. And to dovetail with this, and Travis mentioned this earlier, Dylan Gabriel from UCF visiting Ole Miss looking for a spot to transfer. Now, look, obviously Lane is at uh, Ole Miss. He has re-upped, shall we say, for a cool $7.5 million, uh, certainly rewarding him for a 10-win season. And and, uh, and Lane, obviously, is the ultimate play caller. But, Trev, I, I, I still give Jeff Lebby a, a lot of credit. Uh, him being the uh, the OC at Ole Miss, uh, they will miss Levy. He did a really good job. Uh, I think even Lane will tell you in in uh, uh, in his in, in his uh, uh, moments that uh, he appreciated what Jeff Levy did. So obviously going to with Brent Venables uh, with Oklahoma. So I, I mean, it, listen, it's really amazing. All this stuff is kind of swirling around right now that hasn't got a lot of attention. Frank Wilson leaving McNeese State, going back to LSU. Frank Wilson is one of the better recruiters in the yeah. league. So, so we get we get travel little little things like this, like Zaquande White leaving South Carolina, the running back who's had a uh, a good game or two, particularly against Florida. So uh, there's so much going on this time of year. A lot of these things kind of get lost in the cracks. They do, um, and it's huge, I think, for LSU to try to buoy Brian Kelly with as much of that LSU flavor as it realistically can. Guys that can functionally help, not just in terms of figureheads yeah. with ties to the program or good old boys or things like that, but folks that with an emphasis on recruiting, you've already seen that with a couple of the re- uh, retentions uh, that he's done there with that staff. Uh, very much aimed to the recruiting trail because you still have guys like Nick Saban and others working the Pelican State vigorously. So there you go. From a portal perspective, a coaching carousel perspective, those are some of the primary items of interest. And again, it's not slowing down anytime soon. No, so no, as no, much no. as we can update it, we will certainly do that. How about from a bowl lineup perspective? We gave a quick overview of the college football playoff games involving Alabama and Georgia there just a little bit ago, Brent, but with 13 qualified (laughs) bowl participants in the league, plenty of other in the lineup to talk about. And there's so many 
that you're actually going to have a couple of games involving SEC teams before we even open our presents on Christmas, Brent. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's fun to uh, to see what's going on. Uh, and, and now, there's some really good matchups, Trav. This Arkansas-Penn State game in the Outbacks already got a lot of attention. Uh, boy, Kentucky could add another win against if I was as punchless as they were uh, against Michigan. Uh, also, even in the Gator, I think there's some interest in this A&M and, uh, and Wake Forest game uh, that's going on, too. Uh, South Carolina and North Carolina getting together. That hasn't happened that much either. Uh, and then Auburn and Houston, which I think is not a good matchup for Auburn. But already, and I'm curious what, what Pops has said about this, a Florida UCF and that Gasparillo Bowl, one of those earlier bowls, Travis, got, it's got some Florida people talking now. Yeah, I may have to run by there and remind Pops on the 23rd that the Gators are actually playing that night. I don't know if Pops' uh, interest is going to be all that. He'll watch, of course. But, yeah, yes. Um, yeah, you, you, and, you know, what you have to consider with really a lot of these games, too, are potential opt-outs. You know, sure. that's something else we're probably going to find out, right, here in the next week or two, oh, who oh, yeah. exactly is going to play in these games and how much that can impact some of these matchups when you you have a matchup like Tennessee and Purdue, for example, in Nashville. Well, David Bell, one of the top wide receivers in college mm-hmm. football. Oh, yeah. Uh, is he going to come out for the draft? Is he going to play in the bowl game if he does? I mean, these are elite type players, even at programs like Purdue, uh, that can dramatically influence and impact, you know, the kind of games we're going to have, the, the the way the games might actually go. Uh, and then we've got games, Trav, like in the Armed Forces Bowl, a Missouri team playing all playing Army. Uh, boy, between Tyler Beatty and Army running the ball, Trav, oh, uh, uh, what's the what's the over and under for rushing yards in that? Well, one? and that Missouri run defense, although it got a little better later in the season. Oh my goodness, yes. man! Oh yes. Well, you remember the '88 Sun Bowl when Alabama played uh, absolutely. Army out in El absolutely. Paso. You know, yes. and at the time, I think David Smith, the Alabama quarterback, threw for over 400 yards in that game Correct. because you want to know why? Because he had to, because <laughs> Army just ran that's the ball right. and ran the ball yes. and ran the ball. And that was, you know, that's not a fun bowl matchup, Army or the, the academy schools in general. Um, you know, even when you do have a couple weeks like Missouri's going to have uh, to get ready for that game out in Texas. But. No, in terms of intrigue, I guess you're going to have some storylines, right, in Memphis because Mike Leach is going to take on oh, his yes. his old team in Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the Mike Leach Bowl uh, in that one. And in, uh, in a really good year for State, uh, we'll be interested to see how Will Rogers ends the year. Trev, I just teased this a minute ago, but this Auburn-Houston game in Birmingham, if, if we see the – the Auburn offense that we saw against Alabama. And again, Alabama's defense uh, has certainly improved. Uh, that, I, that, I, that is just not a good matchup at all. I don't think for Auburn, if, if Houston gets on a roll and Auburn struggling, uh, that that's a situation that could get ugly too. Yeah. You know, maybe for that, getting back to that Texas tech, um, Mississippi State game in the Liberty, 
Uh, maybe you could have like Craig James, his kid, oh, no. Adam. Maybe Adam could do the coin flip. Yeah, yeah, Mississippi absolutely. State, Texas Tech. Oof, yeah, how that yeah. ended out there with litigation involved with uh, Mike Leach and uh, Tech. So uh, yeah, I mean, you're gonna have a little bit of a border war there in Charlotte with North Carolina. And Shane Beamer, I think we both know the team that's probably going to be a little bit more excited to be in that Duke's Mayo Bowl than, say, the other, which a lot of people tried to force down our throats in the preseason as a top 10 team. Uh, Well, I think Shane Beamer will have those guys ready to play uh, with that. I I think we'll we'll Sam Howell. Uh, uh, Yeah, who plays in the game? Yeah, that's what I mean with that. And uh, look. We've seen North Carolina all year long, Trav, that, that there are times uh, to where Mac Brown's had that bunch ready to go, and, and there's a, there have been other games they surrendered before the game began. So I, I, I think this is one of those games that well, with a natural rivalry, this will be a big win for South Carolina. Uh, again, I think that is, uh, I mean, South Carolina is 6-6, six and six. 13th in the SEC trap with points per game in 21. So can they get enough going offensively in order to get a big win in a game like that? Kind of a uh, coming together of sinners and saints in New Orleans when you talk about <laughs> fan bases. Can you imagine that? Baylor and Ole yeah. Miss yeah. in the That's Sugar great. Oof. <laughs> Wow, those Ole Miss fans are just going to take over the French quota. And uh, Baylor, uh, th- those folks may not actually show up until game day uh, into New Orleans. No. But, yeah. no, uh, a chance for Ole Miss to solidify a top 10 ranking, uh, 11 wins, um, and play right there in the backyard of a legacy. I know they wouldn't mind adding here in the next year or so an Arch Manning. Uh, no, they would not. And, 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 listen, we need to give some credit to – uh, today, Miranda at Baylor and the job that he has done there and putting that together. Uh, uh, Trev, is anybody, uh, is there any coach more unflappable than Aranda is? I think you he better tell. be after going for it on fourth and one from his <laughs> own 35 against Oklahoma yeah. State and yeah. damn near costing his team the game. His defense yeah. bailed him out on the goal line late against Mike Gundy and the Cowpokes oh, yeah. uh, in the Big 12 game. Blake Chapin, their quarterback, has, has been certainly serviceable during that time. But but and and a random mention of also for some uh, big jobs uh, over the last few weeks, and, and I think he will uh, stabilize he will that. Cash in, yeah. And it, at some point he will. And and, and one thing I also wanted to mention too uh, is uh, since we've last talked, uh, Florida certainly had. Uh, Billy Napier has uh, kind of met and kissed babies and done all he needed to do. In the beginning, he's been pretty honest about uh, the the reality of uh, there's only so much we can do between now and signing day. So I think the Gator fans need to realize that. And look, I, I, this I, this is something that we're looking ahead a little bit. But Trump, this is fascinating. Florida starts the year next year with a home game with Utah. Uh, and Utah, uh, under Willingham, has been really tremendous, frankly. Very physical club. Yeah. Uh, and, and listen, they're, they're not starting the season next year against the Sisters of the Poor. Uh, mm-hmm. that, 
that strength and conditioning program in the offseason is going to be very important for the Florida Gators. Yeah, and as a Jags fan, I'm hoping that Urban Meyer has plenty of time that weekend to go over and check out his two <laughs> former teams. Yeah. I yeah. hope Urban has like Thursday to Sunday to go right. over and sort of bask in the Utes and the Gators. That'd be fine by me. And you're right, yeah. though, about Utah, man. And I've seen it. And I agree with it. A lot of the sentiment is that if we had a 12-team playoff this year, yeah. Utah might be the team no one wants to play, no, no uh, especially in, in a sort of uh, semifinal, quarterfinal-type round matchup. They are they are tough to deal with. And I think a lot of the, the thinking with Utah is that they're more difficult to deal with at home, and they are. I mean, that, uh, in Salt Lake, they are especially tough. But they showed you in that Pac-12 championship game in thumping Oregon again, yes. Yes. Uh, that it didn't really matter the venue. Uh, that's a really good Utah football team right now. Uh, and kind of an extension with that. Um, Mario uh, makes the trip. Uh, Cristobal going from Oregon, who took its second thumping at the hands of Utah in that Pac-12 championship game. Mario Cristobal to Miami. How does that impact even say some SEC programs, I guess, with more of an emphasis on what the expectation will be with crystal ball in recruiting down there in the state of Florida. Well, uh, SEC teams have been able to go to that Broward County area. Uh, and Broward, yeah. Absolutely. And, and pretty well cherry pick whoever they wanted to IMG Academy, up, uh, up until there, does Cristobal uh, stop some of that trail? I think that's what people are uh, looking for. But I'll say this, too. Uh, look, I like Mario. He did a really good job with the Alabama staff. Uh, he learned from Nick Saban. Saban also gave him that people may have seen by now uh, j- just a uh, just a glowing referral, by the way, Trav. Uh, so... Uh, but look, don't think for a minute that Mario will not impact some of the recruiting. But I, I, listen, I'll also say this uh, with Oregon, Travis, there were there were games that they just inexplicably did not show up. Yeah. Uh, and, and and look, I was now Thibodeau, their defensive end going to the NFL was one of the better players I've seen in quite a while. I know Alabama was very uh, interested in him. But they are putting a lot of stock and a lot of money into Cristobal. Uh, this <laughs> this note really stuck out. From 79 to 2001, Miami spent 161 weeks ranked in the top five since 2006. They've been ranked in the AP top five twice. So you think Cristobal is there to fix some of that, Trev? I think so. Yeah. And and look, if you're Miami right now, first you look at what's going on in your backyard. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue that either Florida State or Florida uh, or even UCF, for that matter, are on exactly stable footing. No. So the no. timing is right for Cristobal and Coral Gables. And then within your own league. Um, whether it's accurate or not, there is a perception right now anyway, that Clemson might be vulnerable more so than it has certainly been in the last five or six years under Dabo Sweeney with the turnover you're seeing, uh, at Clemson with an emphasis on the coaching staff here of late. So 
we'll see. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, his ties to that program, obviously, uh, his ability to recruit. Um, but I'm with you on the inexplicable performances. That's where I've always been a little bit short of ready to go all in on Mario Cristobal right, is that right. every time you kind of get to that point, every time they go or they did go at Oregon and say, win a game at Ohio state, like they did this season. They follow that up by getting thumped, not just not just dropping games yeah, to right. Utah, but getting thumped to the level of not being competitive in a game like that twice in the same season. You know, a couple of years ago, it was Arizona State um, that 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 had that type of performance uh, against Oregon. I, I just I, that's where I struggle. I think Mario Cristobal is a, a good coach. I think he's an even better recruiter. And if you're Miami, you're thinking, hell, that might just that might be enough. That might yes. be enough. Hey, Brent, before we get out of here, uh, the all SEC team on Monday from the coach's perspective, uh, kind of going through the list. I wouldn't say there were any huge surprises. Uh, there were a lot of competition at some spots, even with Bryce Young having his Heisman Trophy campaign. Uh, the quarterback position uh, you could certainly look at was Stetson Bennett good enough to be considered for a top two spot. But then you got Matt Corral. Will Rogers with a really good year, but it is Corral who is the second team quarterback running back kind of the same thing. You knew Tyler Beatty was going to be a slam dunk for one of those two first team choices. But then you had Brian Robinson, you had Chris Rodriguez, um, you had a guy like Isaiah Spiller. It was Brian Robinson who actually joined Beatty on the first team from the coach's perspective. So kind of going through this, um, any major surprises to you? Well, uh, it, it wasn't a surprise, but I was glad to see it affirmed. Traylon Burks uh, on the uh, first team, and, and uh, for our listeners, um, if if folks haven't seen Traylon Burks, they need to look at him and, and Google that. He and Jamison Williams certainly in that mix. Well, well deserved. Brock Bowers in there too, uh, but Burks is just a guy. I, I, I tell you what, Travis. Uh, his future, frankly, is going to be tremendous, uh, I think, to say the least. And, and listen, how about, Trav, how about Kentucky getting a couple of guys uh, uh, on that offensive line? Uh, yeah, uh, Darren Kennard. And Kennard uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They've kind of become an OL factory. In they Lexington. have, have uh, That's what they hung their hat on, especially on the offensive side of the ball with, with as much as they like to run the football, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. Uh, Cremont punter, we saw that in the SEC championship game, how he could really flip the field uh, and how how impressive that he was uh, with that. And, and by the way, Trav, how about Will Anderson, Kobe Dean, and, and Demont Clark? Yeah, I was going to say. Well, you know, we talk about Bryce Young, and we talk about Jamison Williams, Traylon yeah. Burks, and all these skill guys. Even Brock Bowers is a new era tight end, and you know, Jalen Weidermeyer ends up second team all SEC because Bowers comes in as a true freshman, just has a crazy good year. But at the end of the day, what makes this league what it is, is Absolutely. still in the front seven. Yeah. Whether you're talking about a trio of linebackers like Anderson, Dean, Damone Clark of LSU, you look at the defensive line, Jordan Davis, Sam Williams, DeMarvin Leal, Devontae Wyatt. And then even on your second team defensive line, You've got Fedarian Mathis with 10 tackles for loss and eight sacks. Yeah. Josh Paschal of Kentucky, Derek Hall 
of Auburn, Jalen Carter of Georgia, and then your second team linebackers, Zacoby McLean of Auburn, Henry Tillotoa, Bumper Poole of Arkansas. That's still that's still where I would contend, at least, Brent, that uh, where this league still separates itself as as much as anywhere else. Uh, and and the thing about it is, is is as ferocious as those guys can hit. They can move laterally and move forward as well as anybody can. Trav, how about Jalen Armour Davis uh, also uh, uh, in the secondary pick, uh, particularly uh, with him being hurt as of late? I think I think in your and you will of course write write about this. Him being back for Cincinnati will also make a difference for the Tide. No doubt about it. Absolutely, and uh, you're going to consider all of that going into that game. Obviously, for Alabama, John Betchy, uh being out is is huge, and and how they'll go about sort of trying to figure that out and replacing the abundance of targets that Mechie got on a weekly basis. So we're talking about a guy that was double digit targets each and every week. So uh, plenty of things to consider as we get closer to the college football playoff, the bowl season in general. We'll be back on a weekly basis as we move through the bowl season. Again, you got the early signing period starting one week from today. So uh, we look forward to that. Brent, uh, as usual, next time we convene here on Second Helping, no shortage of topics. Well, and I think this transfer portal situation uh, makes every day an adventure, frankly. Uh, Obviously, Heisman Trophy on uh, um, uh, Saturday night and the College Football Awards. I think we know where a lot of them are going, but uh, it's always kind of fun to be able to see uh, where that's going to be. If folks are wondering when these teams are going to practice, Trev, help me on this. I believe pretty much everybody's in finals this week. Right. Uh, so there really is nothing done full for this week, but I'm sure starting next week there will be uh, uh, some teams returning, getting back to fundamentals, getting in shape. Uh, no doubt the coaches are working on game plans and so forth, and they will get into that. Uh, and then we've kind of got Christmas going on. And, and look, this is a subject on another day. Already some talk, Trav, about is this early signing period at a bad time? Should it either be done away with or moved to the end of July or the, or the first week of August that started this coaching carousel going? So absolutely no shortage of things to discuss. And we look forward to it. As always, Brent Beard doing a great job here with us on the podcast. It is Second Helping. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to Second Helping? If you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, that would help us out tremendously as well. So for Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. Until next time, so long, everybody.